Hi, I'm Lori Denning, and welcome to my podcast, The 20-Minute Scriptorian, where I explore the LDS scriptures and the path of the disciple of Christ. I'm a longtime gospel doctrine teacher, sometime institute and seminary teacher, and a current theology student. My friends and I are often discussing history, context, and theology, and thought that you might appreciate it too. I think of it as a bridge between academic and inspiration. However, these opinions are my own and not an official representation of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Thanks again for listening, and I hope this will be a blessing to you on the road to discipleship. Hey, welcome back. Uh, I'm Lori, and I'm your host for the 20-Minute Scriptorian, and I just want to give a big shout-out to, we've had a a lot of new listeners uh, from all over the world, Uh, Canada, U.S., Mexico, but even South Africa, uh, the UK, Uganda, Kenya, uh, Russia, just, it's just amazing and, and great comments. And I appreciate, really appreciate everybody. So I wanted to start with that. I appreciate uh, all the comments and the support. It makes it worthwhile. Obviously I do this for, for fun. It's uh, the scriptures are a passion of mine. And so I really appreciate that you guys like it too. So welcome back to the 20 minute scriptorian. We are in come follow me and we're heading into the middle part of November and we are the early Christian letters. So for the next few weeks, we're going to be hitting James, Peter, John, and uh, Judah. And so some of some very brief letters, very short, very powerful, and some of the favorites and things I think you'll really like. So today we're going to do all about the epistle of James. All right, so this epistle to James, as you know, in the all about section, we take a step back, we do a little overview, context, and history. Now, here's the thing with these early Christian letters. We've kind of we're kind of done with Paul, so thank you, Paul. Uh, we're done with the Gospels. We hit Acts, which is really a gospel, and then uh, all those Pauline epistles. So, and then we hit the, even the pastoral epistles, the prison epistles of Paul, whether he was writing in prison or writing to uh, the the pastors, the bishops and his various things. Then we hit some things like Hebrews, where we think it's Paul, but very different. Obviously, we spent a lot of time there. And now we're going to finish up with these just really one, two, three, four, really fast, really short, uh, very brief epistles, but they usually come very early. So you got to love this. You know, when people put the the New Testament together, they weren't thinking like 21st uh, century uh, people. Uh, They were thinking... Uh, like whoever they were, and and so they did not do this chronologically. So these letters, we almost go back in time, and we know this by one when they were writing and who they were writing to, but also some of the content. So if you put yourself back in that time of Acts, when the church is just in Jerusalem and it's starting to spread throughout the world, so it's going to go to Samaria, Judea, Samaria, and the the surrounding areas before it really hits into to parts of Asia and Europe and Turkey and all these places we know now, it's, it is just barely getting going. And so you're going to go back to that Acts 15 and these different councils that are going on of the early spread. And so this is a Jewish movement. This is a Jewish messianic movement, right? Hey, the Messiah is here. The Jewish Messiah is here. And we're taking that to the nation. So we're going back to those times where we think this is kind of Jewish and, and, that's where we're going to find ourselves with James. So let's talk uh, really quickly about uh, who James was, who's the writer, who's the audience, uh, why was he writing, and some of those things that are uh, actually really hard for us to know in this case. Uh, first, James. That is 
have you ever noticed if you're reading the Old Testament um, or even the Book of Mormon, you're reading these names and they're uh, names like uh, Jonah and Judah and uh, you get na- all the ayahs. So you get Isaiah and Zechariah and um, whomever, right? Malachi, all these kind of harsh terms, very Hebrewish sounding names to our ears. Um, even names like Jacob and Joseph, uh, Jacob, and uh, Isaac, Itzhak, and Joseph, Yosef, uh, right? And then all of a sudden you turn the page magically to the New Testament and you're to names like uh, Mary and James and Peter. Uh, These are the kind of Greek versions or even perhaps English versions in the English-speaking world of Hebrew names. So if you uh, take the name James, it's actually the name Jacob. So this, in some uh, translations, is the epistle of Jacob, because the name James is the name Jacob. So uh, so interesting that we turn the page. And so sometimes, like I mentioned just a second ago, you'll hit Peter. His name was obviously Simon. Uh, John, Yohanan is the name for John. And uh, Jude is Judah. So if we called them by their Hebrew names, they would probably spoke, um, they did not probably speak Hebrew either, but they would be Jacob, Simon, Yohanan, and Yehuda. So there you go. So anyway, just sometimes you'll see Jacob, and so it's the epistle of Jacob. Now, who is Jacob? Now, we don't actually know. Uh, There were three Jacobs mentioned in the New Testament. Uh, The most popular belief is that this is the brother or the half-brother of Jesus himself, and so was not a believer in the time of Christ, uh, when Christ was alive. As you remember, it talked about uh, J- uh, James or um, Jacob not being a believer. His, his family didn't believe him, so uh, it could be him. It could also be one of the sons of Zebedee. So we had uh, the two brothers, and, but but James, the first James was martyred under Herod Agrippa like in AD 44. So we don't often think that it was him um, because it's so early that it was one of the brothers. So the second is the younger brother of Jesus. So he was uh, also the leader of the church in Jerusalem. We would call him the bishop of Jerusalem. And so we see a lot more prominence later in Acts um, about James. Uh, I guess I should call him James or Jacob. That's confusing. But anyway. And and he introduces himself, at least, he says, hey, this is James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he tells us who he's writing it to, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nation's greetings. So a traditional letter, we've talked about that before, starts out who's writing, who you're writing to, and then some kind of blessing or greeting. So we know James, but anyway, it's probably not the the brother, um, it's not the son of Zebedee, it's probably the uh, younger brother, of Jesus. So, but he doesn't say more than I'm just a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's just assumed that his name would be known and would carry some kind of authority. And so based on that, it, it's, it has a lot of command. And so after the opening greeting, it seems to make a case that this is probably Jesus's brother. So anyway, but just know we're not actually sure. Nobody else. Uh, other uh, first century, first through second century um, Christians wrote that this probably was Jesus's brother, uh, the brother of the Lord. So we also take that as kind of historical tradition, but that's what it was. Kind of interesting. Sometimes people have had some 
um, alternative saying, no, it doesn't make sense, but that's probably not that important to the letter either way. Um, all right, let's see who this is written to. So we talked about the very introduction of 1-1 where it says this is written to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. So it's helpful to understand who's he writing to because then it would understand what topics he would be writing and we can kind of put ourselves in the context. While they're always applicable, we can always liken the scriptures unto ourselves, it is helpful to understand maybe who he was writing to. Now, you might say, well, Laurie just says right there, it's the 12 tribes and they're scattered. Um, now the 10 tribes <laughs> and even Judah and Benjamin are really scattered at this point. They're not living as tribes hardly at all. So if you take the 10 tribes like uh, Simon and Issachar and Zebulon and Ephraim and Manasseh, they're, they're not like, oh yeah, they're living in wherever, you know, put a pin in the map. We don't have a location for them. So they're truly lost. So is he writing this to those just saying, well, it's just generally everybody out there? Perhaps, perhaps that's exactly who he's writing to as he's saying, I know it's outside of Jerusalem. I, I know that this is to, to them. Or perhaps it's saying, I am writing this to, to everyone, to all tribes that are everywhere. And now as new followers of Christ, as the new Messiah, it's, it's everyone. So he's going to write to Judah, Samaria, Cyprus, create these, these areas just radiating out from Jerusalem and saying, I'm writing this out to all of you. One belief is that if he was the Bishop of Jerusalem, he would know these people very well and to avoid persecution, he's gonna write a lot about persecution in this letter uh, that they had fled uh, there. And we know also that there was a famine in the land. And so people were very poor. So they may have been fleeing out of the area of Judea to escape the famine and get work and food and support for themselves and their family. So he may be saying, I, I know these people, I know who they are, and I'm writing this letter as kind of their bishop to those that have had to leave because of persecution or famine. Um, so it could be very general, it could be to just the new Christianity, uh, it could be to the 12 tribes of Israel, or it could be to his flock that has left. So just some thoughts. So even though he seems to reference Jews who lives outside of Israel, he always he also says in two one that you're believers of glorious Lord Jesus Christ. So we know there's some conversion. This is generally to those believers. So uh, he also calls them brothers and sisters. So I know it'll say brothers, but just translate that as as both brothers and sisters. So he seems to know his audience. So I kind of like the idea that these are the twelve tribes. These these those converts from Jerusalem in the general area of Palestine who have left and he's writing them as his brothers and sisters that there's a, this is his flock that has left. Uh, we also, you can tell by the vocabulary, a couple of words that he uses that they're definitely Jewish. There's a Jewish or a Jewish flair or flavor or history. Doesn't mean they're all Jewish, but there's certainly something. He describes them meeting in the synagogue, uh, which is definitely where they met, right? Typical way that a Jewish gathering met. And he also uses a phrase, the Lord Almighty, a Kurios Sabaoth, the um, the Lord of, of the Lord Almighty. Uh, so it's a very common Old Testament name for the God of Israel, Yahweh Sabaoth, um, which kind of makes sense if you have recipients that are Jewish, right? They have this Jewish roots. You would have used synagogue and the um, uh, Lord of the uh, Sabaoth. They're the Lord of Hosts or the Lord Almighty. So it might have been really important because I think it helps us 
in understanding the letter that there's a trajectory is how we should understand the message that James is going to try to write to his audience. So if James's audience is Jewish and they, they're recipients of a long tradition of the Old Testament, the Torah, right, the Torah of Moses, and they would understand the message of the prophets and the writings. And so, and so James is going to draw on this tradition as he talks to them about the life of faith, a wise life, a life of wisdom. And, and they need to understand how they should apply it in their own lives now in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So they're saying, hey, how do I apply the background that I have as, as a Jew and apply it this life of faith, life of wisdom? And you're going to see those two themes over and over again. So again, it doesn't mean there weren't any Gentiles there or other believers, but uh, even Acts 8, right, we know there's the Ethiopian convert and Acts 10, there were many Gentiles or God-fearers who converted to Jerusalem uh, or to uh, Judaism. But so it wouldn't be surprising to find some Gentile believers, but they were starting to, they're being regarded as Abraham's offspring at this point. Um, Romans 9, 8 calls them that. So they, we know at that time they would be kind of drawn into the community. They would be converts, Jewish convert, almost considered Jewish converts as much as Messianic or Christians. Okay. So there you go. Uh, when is he writing? Uh, well, again, we don't know, but we can tell that he's uh, writing probably from Jerusalem. If it's if it's the James we're talking about, he lives in Jerusalem. Um, so interesting, remember the, the church is up in Galilee, and then after the uh, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, he says, wait for me here, and he teaches them for 40 days, and then the Pentecost, and they stay in Jerusalem, and the, the church is based out of Jerusalem. Uh, which is symbolic and awesome. And so they're going to be there. So it's probably that that's where he's writing from. Um, who's he writing to? Uh, probably dispersed tribes, like we said, the dispersioners or whomever. Okay, so that's who he's writing to. Uh, the, when? Early on. Um, so we think somewhere in early 40s, like AD 44, because that's when James is the early church leader in Jerusalem. Like in Acts 12, we learn that James is the leader there, um, and Peter was released at the time of Herod, uh, Herod's death, and so it can't be much before that date. Um, some people also believe that this might have been written closer to James's martyrdom in like AD 62. So Josephus says that James died at the um, hands of the prophet Ananus at, near this time. And so, because for blasphemy of stone. So that's the old tradition. Uh, Josephus tells that. Anyway, we don't know. We don't know, but uh, we're kind of thinking the date is, could be very early. You, um, they're not writing to the Gentiles, they're not writing to Paul or some of these other issues. It seems very, uh, there's not a lot of mention of some of the Jewish Gentile controversies that you're going to see later in Paul. Doesn't mean that they weren't happening, but that's kind of why we think it's done. Anyway, purpose. Why was this written? So I think the opening words are very helpful in understanding why is he writing this letter to his friends and brothers and sisters? He says, uh, James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. So this, this passage kind of indicates that James's audience is facing trials, persecutions, and he's calling them to have pure joy in their trials. 
So trials, he says, produce perseverance. And those who persevere will become mature, mature and complete, not lacking anything. But the real key, the real key is the next verse. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Oh, don't we know that scripture, right? The Joseph Smith scripture. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who give it to all men um, and upbraid not. Get all men liberally and upbraid not, and it will be given him. Uh, that's my quote. So if I messed it up, sorry. But I think he's trying to say, so we take that and we love it because we love the Joseph Smith story. But take a step back and see what else could James be writing this about. It isn't just general, like, um, I need an answer. I need a, an answer to a question I have. Um, he's talking about wisdom. And, and wisdom is a very specific thing to an Old Testament people. It's a way to live. It's, we get, there's a whole set of wisdom literature. And, and this wisdom literature is, um, there, there are, well, let's just take an aside and I'll tell you what it is and see if you can see where James is coming from. So there are three books in the Old Testament that would later become wisdom literature. And they kind of tell this, this collected wisdom of generations of people um, that they're understanding the complexity of life, but they're going to explain how to live wisely, how to, how to have wisdom, how to live wisely. And they are Proverbs, Job, and Ecclesiastes. Sometimes people will throw in the writings, they'll put in Psalms, but that's different. So the, the wisdom literature, how to live a wise life, Proverbs, Job, and Ecclesiastes. And so each of these explores the same kind of themes and they kind of tackle the same question. So Proverbs, if you've ever read them, you know Proverbs. They're like those little short phrases um, that tell you something. And sometimes they'll even be contradictory phrases. They'll, they'll tell you one way and then another way, the exact opposite, back to back. They're trying to make you think um, and it's taken from the idea that there's this brilliant teacher of wisdom, and she is this uh, aspect of God in a way. Like, but it's personified as a woman, Lady Wisdom, and she's going to show us that anyone can access this wisdom, and they can have an incredible life just with the gifts that are freely offered, so long as they have respect for the source of this wisdom, which is God. So God's going to give us the source. Of wisdom. So there are those proverbs. You're probably familiar with some of them, some little insights and things like that. The next one is Ecclesiastes. And they are, it's kind of disturbing if you've ever read Ecclesiastes, but he's trying, Ecclesiastes is showing the march of time and how we're all forgotten. Second, uh, we're all going to die no matter what. And then third, life is just random. And so misfortune strikes good, wise people, fools are rewarded. But these dark themes are going to portray a much brighter message. That there's more out there that life looks like life is meaningless, but say no. Uh, not something you probably are just thinking of in the Bible. You think of like inspirational thoughts, and but it's someone exploring why does is life so challenging? Why is it? Why am I persecuted? Why are people ill? Why did the uh, wicked thrive? Why does the good guy lose? Uh, any, anything like that? That's Ecclesiastes. And then Job. Now we're very familiar with Job. It's just a rich, rich book. But we see that Job and his friends wrestle with the equation of God, who was wise, lets horrible things happen to innocent people. And it takes Job on this virtual tour of the universe at the end. 
And we learn that God is basically saying that suffering's just a tiny part of this large cosmic scheme, and God is controlling uh, through his wisdom. And so Job, Job is humbled by it, and yet God still also restores his blessings. And all that. But these three, uh, and so the problems are important to God, but we should still trust him. So all through these wisdom books show the meaning of life and what it means to live in the wisdom of God. Now remember, you're an Old Testament person. James is writing you. You're going to have these themes. It's like knowing Disney. You would just know it, right? You just know those stories. You know what these motifs and themes are in, uh, in Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job, in the wisdom. And so James is going to tell hey, even though you're going through trials, have faith, because if you lack wisdom, ask of God, and he'll give it to you. He will give you a way to live through your trials. So you're going to see that some of these, this is part of the theme. And again, he repeats um, uh, directives. So it's, uh, it's going to show how to live wisely. Now remember, these people are probably living in persecution, they're probably poor from the famine or other parts of life. And so James is going to say, this is no different. In fact, if you find yourself in trials or lacking a happy life or wisdom, ask of God because he knows how to give it to you. And he is going to explain these to his reader. In fact, James 4, 8 says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Humble yourself before God and he will lift you up. So he's telling us, come near and if you're humble, you will be lifted up. So this theme of how to live a happy, righteous life, even in the middle of persecution, famine, poverty, illness, despair, uh, anything, this is the guide. Now, if you think about Proverbs where it's short and snappy and it has a lot of like commands, uh, do this and happy is the person and James follows the same structure. So James doesn't have this nice literary structure where you're like, oh, beginning, middle, and end. It's like a, a million little bossy phrases. I say bossy because they call them imperatives, but they're direct commands. So in 108 verses, he has like 50 commands. So he, James is going to command his readers to live in a manner consistent with faith. And so he's going to say, do this, do this, do this. So think of them as proverbs. They're just... Every other verse is something on how to live and how to be. So that's why the structure is a little bit weird. So you could almost flip through it really quickly, but it's going to feel like uh, Proverbs or, um, um, uh, in fact, James even uses Job as the main character, ex ex describes this. So wisdom, Job, Proverbs, you can see it layered in there. Okay, so since we're a little bit removed, since we're a little bit removed from the Old Testament, we might miss that about Job. But it's rich, it's there, and it might help you see some other things. So you can jump in, jump out. You can kind of just take these small phrases, these imperatives, these little proverbs, and see it because if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Right. Okay, um, that's it. So it's really trying to carry forward the way, oh, oh, uh, most importantly, it's not just that, but Jesus speaks that way. If you think about Jesus, whether it's in Matthew or John or Mark. Mark does this a ton. Um, they're very short and quippy. And so you think of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed is he who lives like this. Blessed are you who lives like that. Um, you think this, uh, but don't do that anymore. The, the, you know, the 
the law says X, but I'm telling you why. Uh, live a higher law. So it's very similar with these imperatives. And so James has, you, you can almost tell that he is the brother of Jesus. So he just, he is just rehashing. He's just lived with the Old Testament and, and Jesus himself. And he is going to take those imperatives and kick them back out to this Jewish Christian people like us. So there are a lot of illustrations, a lot of wisdom, but James is really carrying forward the way in which Jesus presents the kingdom and the way that if you allow this kingdom, if you allow the way of God, if you allow Christ and his new kingdom in your life, how it changes you from inside. And that is the epistle to James. All right, everybody. Good luck. We'll see you next time.